That being said, let's turn to Revelation chapter 9, reading verses 1 through 21. Please stand when you found your place in God's holy word. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for, for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek he is called Apollon. The first woe was past. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was twice ten thousand times ten thousand. I heard their number, and now this is how I saw the horses in my vision, and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire, and of sapphire, and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. But these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, by the fire and the smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of their horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols and gold and silver and bronze, and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murderers or their sorceries or their sexual morality or their thefts. Reading God's word, you may be seated. So being again today, I want you to think, oftentimes we'll read books or most of us will watch movies, and a lot of these movies will have, you know, bad guys in them. So sometimes they're rather scary. But at the end of the day, when we, we watch these movies or read these books, we get a walk away and that, that person doesn't really exist. They're, they're not really that scary. I was thinking, you know, so you probably tell the kind of movies I watch when I list these, but I was thinking of some, some of the people that, that should scare us in movies. You know, being a Star Wars guy, I immediately thought of Darth Vader. If he really existed, he would be a very scary individual. I also think of people like the Joker... Agent Smith, the White Witch, Saruman, Loki, Dracula, Frankenstein. Of course, being a father of a young one, I also watch many Disney movies. And so you also have characters like Maleficent, Gaston, the, the Evil Queen, and Snow White. But one of these things that, that all these have, have in common, as I said, is these are fictional characters. At the end of the day, we get to walk away and say, well, they're, they're not that bad. They're not that scary. I don't have nightmares of, of any of these characters. But when we, we look today, you know, and, and look at the movies, a lot of times we identify with these bad guys. We, we find them kind of cool uh, for one reason or another. And I think part of that reason is we can identify with them a little bit. We, we can identify with, 
with the pull to to sin. We can identify what it would be like to, to be in a position of power. We understand why they fight the way they do. But when we look at the Bible, there, there are similar characters that, that we have. We have we have Cain. We we, we rather call Cain a murderer, but we, we understand jealousy. We understand what that would have been like. We, we understand the pride and arrogance of Goliath. Why he thought he was unbeatable. Why he mocked God's armies. Why he laughed when they sent out David. He's not laughing now, is he? Now, when we, when we look and we can find you know, evil characters all throughout movies. Another group I, I thought of, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan, the Nazgul, known as the Black Riders. The, the, the nine Black Riders of the horses and later these dragon-like beasts. And they, they come out, and these are truly one of the most probably evil characters in all of literature, in all the history of literature. And they come out with, with a sole purpose, and that is to do their Lord's will. Whatever Sauron, who is the, the bad guy in the Lord of the Rings, whatever his will is, they, they seek to do. And they do it with absolute vengeance. They, they bring wrath, they, they bring ruin. But at the end of the day, these are just fictional characters. We don't have to fear them. We shouldn't fear them. But when we look at Revelation 9, there are some scary things going on here. Some things that when we read Revelation, if you were on the planet at this time, this should scare the living hell out of you. It really should. This is, this is not a light joke. Who is the fallen, fallen angel? Who is the star that John has seen as, a, as if he's already fallen? His name in both Hebrew and Greek means the destroyer. It is Satan. John is seeing Satan fall. And what is happening here? I don't want you to think that God is somehow in league with Satan and saying, hey, Satan, why don't you go unleash the, the... Here's the key. Why don't you go unleash all those demons that, that I trapped in the pit a long time ago? No, this is God rightfully so taking his keys and saying, here you go, Satan. It's on. I'm coming to war with you. You'll see in chapter 12, the archangel Michael kicks Satan and all the the fallen angels out of heaven where they no longer can approach the throne of God, no longer accuse you. So what is here is happening in this chapter is, is Satan is given a little bit of time and he says, go, do, do what you will. Very similar to what he said to Judas, go and do what you will. And what happens, God is declaring war on Satan. God is declaring war on the demons. And God is declaring war on all of humanity who has rejected him. If we notice in these scriptures, who, who are all these, these different, we'll, I'll get into a second what each one of these are, but who are they allowed to attack? Are they allowed to attack the church? No. The church is in heaven. Are they allowed to attack the saints that are living during the tribulation? No, they are sealed by the living God. See, Martin Luther famously quoted made a quote about Satan where he said, you know, oftentimes people will look at God and Satan and make them equals. But all Satan is is a pit bull on a leash. He has to listen to God. And we, we see restrictions being placed with these locusts. These, these are demonic creatures that, that are being released. Five months a standard locust would live. It would go in and devour uh, fields of crops and, and things of that nature. What we have here during this time is Satan is rising up. He realizes his time is limited. And he has a singular focus. He wants to deceive the Jewish people. So what does he do? He's starting to replicate the signs that God has done. If you look at Egypt and, and the, the ten plagues that, that God 
that you'll notice they are very similar to what's going on here in Revelation. There's locusts that were set forth on Egypt, and now there's demonic locusts. They, they have, have the power to torment, but not to kill. They can't, touch, they can't touch the saints. They can only touch those who don't believe. The irony of this is, by Satan unleashing this, he can only attack people that already belong to him. That's why he's the destroyer. He cannot create anything. He can only destroy. But I, I want us to understand Satan's limited power. Oftentimes we'll look at him and, and we'll think, you know, this is this mighty angel of God who is who has disobeyed. He's fallen away. He is a mighty fallen angel. That's why we call him a demon. He has power, yes. He can replicate miracles, yes. But you know what he cannot do? He cannot make you sin. He does not have that power. He is a tempter. And he's an accuser. He longs to tempt you so he may accuse you to the Father. But he can't make you sin a single sin. There's not one of us that will be able to stand before God and say, Satan made me do it. It's not going to work. Not one of us. We'll all have to give an account for our own sins. Amen. Satan will have to give an account for his. Amen. Amen. Woe to him on that day. But he is very limited. And he, as he unleashes the, these locusts, understand that these are, are demonic beings. Oftentimes we'll see angels take a, a very similar appearance to creatures in creation. These are, in fact, supernatural locusts. You know, so when it talks about them having the power like scorpions, they are not, in fact, scorpions themselves, but, but their sting. You know, a scorpion is one of those creatures that, that is feared through, through most countries all throughout the earth. Why? Because you don't have to fear the big scorpions, because they, they cannot kill you. It's the little bitty babies, especially the small children. If a small child gets stung by a baby scorpion, it can die very quickly. Now, if you, you, you look, you see that these creatures are, are indeed de demonic um, demons. They, they're fallen angels that, that have very similar properties to the locusts. And, and Satan is doing that by design. Because when, when the people that are living during that day, especially the Jewish people, they will, they will recognize the similarity. That there are locusts that, that are attacking people. And they will be attacking people that are, are likely to be the, the enemies of the Jewish people. It says that they will attack all across the world for five months. People will long to die, but will not find death. These are not no small locusts. These are, these are creatures that, that will bring fear to many. But, but as we look and see that this only lasts for five months... And what I want to, to ask us as we go on for you to ponder is, do you have the seal of God on your forehead? Scripture talks about it a lot. What does it mean to have the seal of God? It means you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not some literal seal where you get some tattoo or anything like that. It, it is the, the seal of the Holy Spirit that, that marks you. If, if Satan were to unleash these today, you would have no fear. And that you do not have the seal of God upon you. You do not need to fear what, what is happening in chapter 9 if, if you belong to him. But that, that is trumpet number 5. Then we go on to trumpet number 6, which to me is scary as Satan is. Trumpet 6 seems a lot scarier than, than even Satan himself. Now as we look, we, we see an, armies of, an army of demons is unleashed. We see four fallen angels that have been preserved and for this very purpose, this very point in time, it says for the, for the day, the month, the hour, and the year. They, 
they, they have been bound and until this very moment to be unleashed. Why are they unleashed? God is doing something here. And he's using his enemies to do it. Oftentimes we look in the, the Old Testament that, that God would bring punishment upon Israel's enemies by doing what? By having other countries attack them and devour them. Or he would have Israel lay them to waste. Boy, what he's doing here is he's using his own enemies, the, the demons, the fallen ones, and using that to punish those who refuse to repent. Understand clearly what God is still doing at this point. God is still offering people the opportunity to repent of their sins, to turn back to him. That's why the, trump, the trumpet is a warning call. When the seventh trumpet blows, and we'll look at that very, very soon in Revelation, when that blows, the warnings are done. Wrath is coming. Understand me, you're, you're blessed to hear those trumpets blow because you are still given the opportunity to turn back to God. But, but these, these armies, the, the, the language used here, you know, they didn't have large numbers like we, we do today. So it says, John saw 10,000 times 10,000 soldiers. Anybody really good at math? It's 10,000 times 10,000. Can take a guess? 200 million. Just, just to give you an idea of what an army of 200 million would look like, if you lined up the troops, they would be one mile wide and 85 miles deep. You don't want to see that army coming at you. But this is not just any army. This is a demonic army. This is an army that, that, is, that is led by the, the demonic spirits that have been set free. Now you and I could think, we could think, when's the last time you've seen a demon? Anybody here ever seen a demon? Consider yourself blessed, neither have I. I thank God for that. And people will look out and they will not see, a, they will not realize that this is a supernatural army. But what will happen is that these demons will possess these people. And they will see 200 million men coming to make war. And God, God puts a parameter because an army like this could kill everyone on the planet. If you had 200 million people with a singular purpose of destroying humanity, they could do it. But, they, but God puts parameters and says, you are not allowed to kill more than one third. Now we may not feel that that's God's grace, but that is what is happening here. God is saying, you, you're only allowed to kill one-third. And these are people who are not believers. These are people who are angry with God. These are people who deny God exists. These are people who reject God, reject His Son, reject the love and the grace that He has offered. These are people who mock Jesus, mock, mock His offer of salvation. But 200 million soldiers, that is beyond comprehension. Now, oftentimes, we'll we'll, we'll try to look into the prophecies and say, well, what, what country is this? A lot of people instantly will say China. China is one of the very few countries in the world that could field an army that size. Now, they, they have a population over 1 billion people. It's not unthinkable for them to put 200 million soldiers. What would it take for the United States to put 200 million soldiers together? Two out of every three people would have to be in that army. We couldn't do it. Our country would not survive. But the reality is, it is not the kings of the east that we'll read about in a few chapters. It is the, the, the common enemy of Israel known as in the Old Testament as Mesopotamia, Persia, modern-day Iran, Iraq. You can understand that the people group that that is, that's, that's the, uh, the, the Middle Eastern um, Arabs, the, the, 
people that, that go with uh, Islam as their religion. They very easily could field an army of 200 million because it does not say it has to come from one country. They're uniting all around the world with a singular purpose of taking over. But understand that, that God is, is sitting on his throne, as Psalm 2 declares, and he says, he who sits on the throne laughs at man's plans. He laughs that they're trying to do this, as if somehow they could take over what God has created. God has already decreed. Jesus has won. He's coming back again. He's told his son, sit down until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus will come back, and he'll make quick work out of everyone. I was talking a few weeks ago in our Sunday school class. They want to know, when Jesus comes back, do we get to you know, ride a horse and have a sword and, and come back fighting with him? And I said, I want you to understand one thing real clear. We will come be coming back with him and his angels. But with one word, Christ can destroy all his enemies. He doesn't even need to pick up a weapon. Well, with one word, he, he calms the storms. With one word, he creates the world. Amen. One word, he can make all things new. He, he, he is not the destroyer as Satan is. All Satan can offer is corruption, death, destruction. Let's think about the things that, that Satan offers us. He, we, we often will look, and today we, we have a, a lot of discussion around sexuality. We, we have uh, a world now, a country now that says you could choose to be a man one day and a woman the next. That's of Satan. It's beyond ridiculous for us to think about. But that's of Satan. He says God is, God's created you man, but God, maybe he made a mistake and you can be a woman today. I can tell you that is beyond ridiculous. It is sinful. It is evil. It's idolatrous. To, to look at your creator and tell him he made a mistake with you. We also have it with marriage. Why is marriage so hard under attack? Satan has longed to destroy marriage. For it is the foundation and bedrock of all faith. Train up your child in the way they should go. It's going to be hard to train up your child in the way they should go if you destroy marriage. And that is the ultimate purpose. Believe it or not, this, this very week, uh, the news station CNN was both promoting how polygamy is healthy for your marriage. How cheating on your spouse is healthy for your marriage. That is satanic. And they, they justify it. And then in the very next article, they were praising a, a man over in Europe marrying his dog. Having it a legal ceremony. We laugh about this, but this is where it goes. When you have no line in the sand, when you have no right or wrong, how are you to tell somebody else they're wrong for marrying their dog? If you could tell two men, it's okay for them to get married. What's your moral compass? What's, what ground do you stand on? If you do not stand on the word of God, what, what ground do you have? What authority do you have to tell someone they're wrong? You have no authority. Just as Satan has no authority. What's happening here in, in chapter 9 is God is declaring war on Satan and the demons. He's saying, your time is up. He says, go do what you will. And what does Satan do? He goes and he offers deceit and destruction. The third that he kills, these are not born-again believers. These are, these are people who in, in the, the next verse John talks about, but they did not repent. They continue, continue their sorceries, their idolatries, their worship of demons. Demons are slaughtering them and they are still worshiping demons. 
That makes no sense at all. But that's humanity. You go around the world, people are afraid of demons in many cultures. Africa, Asia, South America, it's very real to them. Over here in the U.S., we're much more scientific-minded, so we, we can't see a demon, we can't prove a demon's there, so we don't even want to you know, go down that road. But they're very afraid of demons, and they think when bad things happen in their life, they have to make sacrifices to these demons to make them happy. You can't do that. You're not going to make a demon happy. The demon's time is numbered. We see when, when Jesus is casting out the, the demons from the swine in the Gospels. What are the swine afraid of? Do not cast us into the abyss. The abyss is that shaft that is being opened here. They fear it. Because they, they know judgment is coming upon them. We'll see in chapter 10, God declares victory over the earth. You don't have to wait to chapter 22. In chapter 10, he does it. He sends a mighty angel to, to declare. <coughs> Chap, or, um, the trumpet number 6 that we're on right now is the last one where you will see God giving grace. The, the vials, the bowls of wrath are coming. This is the one final warning. But John tells us that they did not repent. The time is now to repent. We do not need to, to wait to be suffering as they are suffering in Revelation around the world. I want to remind you that the God's laws, His commands that, that we see in the Bible are not, are not against us. They are for our own good. When He forbids sorcery, He's not trying to keep power from us, but He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to have faith in Him to provide. He's not withholding pleasure from us by telling us not to commit adultery or, or not to be sexually immoral, but he wants us to enjoy that pure, undefiled sexual fulfillment that comes in, in a godly marriage, a marriage between a man and a woman. See, everything that Satan offers us, he just is twisting what God has created, and twisting and, and making it evil and making it wrong. And we need to look to God and look to his commands and realize that God is doing these things because he loves us. And he knows what's best for us, like a parent to a child. A parent, parent won't give something to the child that they know will hurt them. But they, they will restrict those things, and that's what God has done. As I close today, I want us to see our great need to see the evil for what it is. Evil is sinful. Evil is aligning ourselves with Satan. The sins that tempt us, they, you know, we may think they're pleasure, pleasurable for a season, and and Scripture talks about it being pleasurable for a season. But what we're doing when we enter into sin is the same thing that Nazgul, the, the nine dark riders in the Lord of the Rings. When we give in to sin, we are doing the will of the master of darkness. The Lord of darkness is, is not Sauron, but it's Satan. When we sin, we are doing his will. We're, one way or another, you know, we are presented with a choice. You can surrender your own will to God's will. And he has great blessings in store for you. Paul talks about when, when we get to heaven, God's got such great things in store for us that our human minds cannot comprehend it. While on the other hand, we may think we're doing our own will, but we're really surrendering to the will and the temptation of Satan. We're going to surrender our will one way or the other. It's who's going to be our master? Will it be God Almighty? Will it be the one we call Abba Father? Or will it be Satan? 
I want you to think about it. It's a choice that Jesus offered to all of us. To, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, he talks about he's having this, this debate with, with uh, the, the Jewish people. And they, they thought they would be saved just because they were Abraham's descendants. He tells them, if you were Abraham's descendants, you would believe me. And he goes on to say, tell, that, tell them that, that I am that I am. He declares himself to be God before them. And this angers them greatly. And they accuse him of having a demon in him, of all things. And what does he go on? He says, you will not listen to my words, because you are of your father the devil. Jesus makes it real clear that there's no in-between. You cannot, you cannot say you're for God and you're living for the devil. You are either going to be for God or you're going to be for Satan. And if you're for Satan, you're going to endure the same wrath that is due to Satan. There's no in the middle. There's, there's no trying to say that, that, that what you do is, is neutral. That, that you don't want that Jesus here. You don't want God, but you're not going to be evil. Scripture declares that all men are evil. Amen. Jesus called his own disciples evil, sinners. That's what we need to acknowledge. We need to acknowledge that's what we are and come to grips with it and surrender our will to God's and receive his salvation. Amen. So I encourage you to, to seek your heart today to do that. You do not have to endure what is coming. God has offered you a way out. He's offered you to become part of the church, which he will remove before these things happen. Amen. You do not need to endure it. You do not need to suffer. You do not need to die needlessly. For as horrible as these things in Revelation are, the things of hell are far worse. They are eternal. The people that, that die in this chapter, the third of the earth that dies, at least for them they get to die. Hell, there is no death. There is an eternity of fire and torment. Please pray with me. Abba Father, Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for this day. I give you thanks for your holy word, Lord. I give you thanks for your grace. I give you thanks for your Son, who is that roaring lion, who, who offers us salvation, Lord, who has beaten back the enemy, who has won the battle. I pray you be with us. If there's anyone here who does not know you, Lord, I pray as we, we close in song that they will come down and bend their, their will and their need to you, God. It's in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.